all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider uh, these words, we pray, as always, for insight and understanding into who you are and into who we are and into the relationships you're calling us into with you, with ourselves, and with each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over these uh, first five weeks of the new year, we've uh, spent time together as a community reflecting on our, our purpose and our mission as a community, a community that is, meets here each week on 111 East 87th Street, but also is active and vibrant throughout the week and around the country and around the world through our Zoom services and our Zoom gatherings. And so we've reflected on our purpose to live in loving, worshiping relationship with God and in loving community with each other. We've talked about our values, and now we're switching and transitioning to talk over the next six weeks about our strategy. How do we go about doing this? How do we live as a worshiping uh, community that worships God, but also is in community with each other? How do we do that? And so our strategy, and I think we have a, a slide for this on the screen for you. Our strategy uh, includes nurturing spiritual growth. Do we have that for everyone? Nurturing spiritual growth, communicating the good news, and embodying life and teachings of Jesus. So again, as a community, we've said, look, this is how we are going to live as this worshiping community and this loving community of each other. We're going to nurture spiritual growth, we're going to communicate the good news, and we're going to embody the life and teachings of Jesus. So over the next six weeks, we're going to take uh, time to reflect on how we can accomplish each of these things. Today, we're talking about nurturing spiritual growth, specifically nurturing spiritual growth through engaging with the Bible. Next week, Michelle's going to talk about nurturing spiritual growth as we embrace the Spirit. Okay, so that's, that's what we're going to be doing here for the next uh, six weeks today, just reflecting on what it means to uh, nurture spiritual growth. So our text of emphasis today comes from a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. And uh, Timothy was like his protege, and uh, Timothy was getting ready to go out and had been and was continuing to be a missionary. He was going to go out and tell, tell people about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so part of that role that Timothy had would be to communicate uh, what the scriptures teach, teach, what the Bible teaches. Now specifically, the scriptures, of course, in the first century primarily referred to the, what we consider now to be the Hebrew Bible, those 39 uh, books of the Hebrew Bible. And so Paul is communicating to Timothy, his protege, how to go about teaching and communicating uh, about uh, using the Bible. Okay, and so we want to reflect on Paul's instruction to Timothy today. And so he, Paul is affirming that the Hebrew Bible has uh, value. It's important here to note just for a second that um, what, Pete, what uh, Timothy was going to be doing was incredibly important because people uh, did not have access to the Bible on their own for their own personal use. Um, in fact, it isn't until 
the 15th century when the Bible started to become widely available for anyone. Before that period, uh, if you were to have a copy of any part of the Bible or the Bible itself, it was handwritten, so scribes would handwrite the Bible, and then uh, it was obviously in limited supply. It was very expensive to go about handwriting a Bible. And so common people did not have access to the Hebrew Scriptures. And even in the New Testament age, up until the 15th century, you didn't have access to uh, the Bible. So someone going out and telling what the Bible said, that's how you were engaged with the Bible. You heard someone describing what was happening. So Timothy was uh, going out and he was going to uh, communicate what uh, the Bible said. And so Paul's instructions are incredibly important because he's like, You're, you are the one who's going to tell people what, what uh, the Bible says. So people would come, whether it was to the synagogue. You know, if you go to the, the synagogue, I mean, today, if you go to a synagogue, somewhere in the synagogue, there are going to be some copies of the Hebrew Bible, right? So same thing in the first century. If you were going to go, your engagement was, with, with the Bible was going to happen in the synagogue. And in the synagogue, they'd bring out the scrolls of the Bible. And that's all you had uh, of, of access to the Bible. In fact, it's not until the 19th century when the Bible starts to become widely available for everyone. When you started to have uh, cheap printing and cheap paper, then the Bible started to get passed out. Up until, until that point, you heard the Bible. You didn't read it for yourself. It wasn't something that you private, unless you were incredibly wealthy, you didn't have a Bible that you can engage with all by yourself. So Timothy is going out to people who do not have Bibles tucked under their pillows or in their, on their bookshelves. It just didn't happen. So he is communicating the Bible, and Paul wants to make sure that he knows what he's doing when he's getting into this. And so reading the Bible was uh, an innovation, and yet there's this implication that people of faith are going to be people who are familiar and engaged with the Bible. All right? So, okay, so this is uh, Paul's instruction to Timothy. Now, again, the context is very specific. Paul is going to be teaching other people about their engagement with uh, the Bible. So teaching people, and so Paul's instructing them what he's to do, so we have to kind of interpret this if we're gonna be reading the Bible for ourselves, what these instructions mean for us. So Paul says to Timothy, the Bible, the, the scriptures, the Hebrew Bible specifically, it's useful for teaching, okay? So for those of us who may be privately reading the Bible, we can interpret that to say, you know, it's, it's useful for learning how to live. All right, if you're teaching someone else, that's fine, but it's also about learning. We're going to learn how to live through the Bible. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, it's, it's helpful for rebuking. Well, if you're reading the Bible for yourself, rebuking could be described as identifying and name, naming harmful ways of living. All right, that's, that's rebuking. You're identifying, you're like, ah, that is not the best way to, to, to live. And then correcting, making the adjustments on how to uh, live. And then finally, Paul tells Timothy that scriptures are useful for training, which we could describe as developing systems to help us live in the best way possible, to, to, to helping us to live healthfully. So we take what Paul instructs to Timothy, who's going out and teaching and saying, how can we adapt this for our own use when it comes uh, to engaging 
the Bible. All right, so it's helpful in all of these ways. It helps us to learn how to live. It helps us to identify harmful ways of living. It helps us to make adjustments to how to live. And it helps us to develop a system so that we can consistently live in ways that are helpful. So the implication is that the scriptures, the Bible, Hebrew Bible, and then as the New Testament was, uh, was received and adapted, those are designed for believers to grow, to be nurtured, to have their, our spiritual gro- growth uh, developed. And so the Bible is an important part of de- developing a healthy spiritual li- life. And yet, and yet, our engagement with the Bible Uh, it can be challenging for us to be engaged and to use it for uh, spiritual growth. And so that leads to our big question today, and that is what stops us from using the writings of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the New Testament, uh, to grow spiritually? What inhibits us from growing uh, in using the Bible? That's the question. Now, as always... I'm sure if we took a survey of this group, we could come up with a bunch of responses. I always like three, so I've got three responses to that question of what inhibits us from using the writings of the Bible to grow. And the first one is this. We try to engage the Bible all by ourselves. We try to do it all on our own. There, in fact, there is a whole idea of, of spirituality and Christian spirituality that has been presented or promoted since the Middle Ages that uh, present uh, spiritual growth as something that is a private experience. You know, you go off and you live in the monastery and you, you pray and you engage with the Bible all on your own, and that's what it means to be spiritual. Spiritual things happen when you are alone and by yourself. That is not the picture of spiritual growth in the New Testament. Keep in mind, you couldn't engage with the Bible all by yourself uh, in the first century because you didn't have access to a Bible where you could privately go off and engage with the Bible. You engaged with uh, the Bible with other people. You came to the synagogue or you came to the ecclesia, the church, and you heard the Bible communicated and expounded and read. That was the engagement. And so that's important to know because when we only engage with the Bible all by ourselves, we're missing something. It wasn't designed to be used that way. When Jesus initiated the Christian church, He designed it to be communal. It's an experience of us coming together. There is something powerful and profound about coming together and engaging the Bible together. Now, Avent Hope, we found this out in a very particular way this year uh, in January. Some of you have uh, started our Bible reading together. First time we've done this since I've been here, 16 years. That is, we said we're going to read the Bible together. Okay, so January 1st. Uh, Each day we have, I don't know, 10 or 12 minutes of reading, and then on Wednesday evenings on Zoom we all get together, or whoever can get together, we come together and we debrief on our reading this week. So I know a bunch of you have been participating in this. I don't know how many of you have all been able to be on the Wednesday evening debrief. Some of you told me you can't be on there, but you've been doing the readings. It's been, I think, incredibly meaningful to do this together, to come together and to, we read on our own, but then we debrief and talk about what we've been reading, and there's something incredibly impactful about that, and that makes sense because that was how it was designed to be engaged. Spirituality is not something that happens all by yourself alone. Uh, 
don't get me wrong, there are times for that, to be alone, to be thoughtful, to be reflective, but this thing was designed to happen in community. And so when we engage with the Bible only all by ourselves and don't have the communal experience, we're missing something. It's designed to be done together. We need community. We need each other. God has always existed in community. God invites us into community, and we learn in community. We grow in community. And when we neglect that, it inhibits our ability to actually experience spiritual growth through engaging the Bible. Secondly, we're inhibited from growing in our engagement with the Bible because we don't understand uh, or misinterpret what the Bible is. Uh, you know, a, a common, I'll call it a mistake, when you start engaging with the Bible is to, uh, to, to, to try to read it like a normal book. Uh, Genesis, start in the beginning, Genesis, and read all the way through to the end of the book, Revelation. Have you ever tried that before? It's hard. Uh, it's difficult. And uh, part of the reason is, you know, you start off in Genesis, and it's going pretty good. It's a nice story in Genesis. And then you get into Exodus, still a pretty good story, pretty good narrative. You got characters. It's interesting. You get into books like, there's a book called Numbers. The book is Numbers. It's boring. It's... It's really, really boring. And so, and then there's, there's books of laws. And th- it, you get bogged down. And uh, the reality is the Bible wasn't uh, designed to be read that way. Okay? So the Hebrew Bible is made up actually of 39 different books. And I'm using the term books very liberally here. Because oh, some of them are not books. Some of them are uh, uh, court records. You have books that are primarily a listing of uh, laws. There is some narrative. Genesis and Exodus is pretty narrative heavy, uh, but then you get to those court records. That can be challenging. There's poetry. There's some great poetry. There's songs. There's erotic literature all there in the Hebrew Bible. You have apocalyptic literature that has a lot of illusion, and, and, and those can be difficult to read. There is a book called Lamentations. Have you ever read Lamentations? You know what La- Lamentations is? It's, 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 it's kind of expressing like sorrow and, and sadness and, and, and there's some of the misery in there. It, it can be a tough read. So 39 books, but it's, it's, it's not designed to be read from beginning to end. That's not what it was. The collection of all these different forms of literature. The New Testament isn't much different. The, uh, the New Testament is also made up of a number of different genres. You know, it starts off with Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, these, we call these the Gospels because they're telling the story of Jesus, but it can be confusing. I, I uh, remember years ago, I was uh, helping somebody and they were reading the Bible for the first time and uh, they went to the New Testament and I was young and I clearly didn't know what I was doing because I'm like, just read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and I kid you not, I get to, they read through and I get to back together with them and they're like, super interesting but I don't get why Jesus keeps dying over and over again. <laughs> now, I mean, that sounds funny, but it, uh, if you know what, what's going on, but she didn't know what was going on, and so I was like, oh, okay, great question. Uh, so for those who, who don't know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is four accounts of the same story. I mean, there are different parts of the narrative in, in each one, but Jesus dies in all four, spoiler alert, 
And uh, so that was, that was confusing. So you have these gospel narratives, but then, uh, then in Acts, you basically have this record of the newborn Christian church. It's a narrative of what the newborn Christian church went through. And then you get into this long series of letters. Some of them are called things like the, the pastoral letters. So it's uh, Paul, who is a great communicator in the New Testament, and he's uh, giving advice to people who are going to function as pastors of communities. And so he's writing to specific cities and the churches in those cities and the leaders in the city about how to operate and what they should do and what they shouldn't do and how they should be engaged with the culture and, and, and things that they should avoid. And so uh, if you don't recognize that, it can be difficult to get anything out of your engagement with the Bible. In fact, uh, one the last element, there is a, a book called the Revelation Singular, always loved the, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? It's uh, the last book in our, in our canon of the Bible. And uh, it's apocalyptic literature, which is a very specific form of literature. And if you're reading through the New Testament with all these letters and very literal things, and you get to Revelation that is full of illusion and illustration and uh, metaphor, and you read it literally, you're going to be like, I, there's dragons and fire, and, and it's going to be just completely confusing, okay? So, again, our ability to grow as we read the Bible and experience spiritual growth uh, can be challenged when we don't understand what the Bible is. 66 different books, and we're using that term book very liberally because it's, some of it's just letters and, and poetry and so on. And when you don't understand that, that can inhibit our ability to spiritually grow because you're like, I don't get what's going on here. And, and you may give up. You may not even experience any growth because you're completely confused. Uh, finally, we are inhibited from experiencing spiritual growth when we try to engage with the Bible because we get very disturbed by what we find in the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible and gotten very disturbed? I certainly hope so. <laughs> I certainly hope so, because the Bible is disturbing. It's disturbing. There are terrible, terrible things that happen in the Bible. The Bible is not all uh, peace and love. There is racism. There is uh, sexism. There is... Uh, war, there is atrocity, there is murder, there is political intrigue. In fact, a lot of the Bible is made up of those things. And so if you go into the Bible and you think, oh, I'm going to be encouraged by my reading today, and then you read some awful thing about, uh, you know, terrible things happening. I'm not even going to say them, but you know what they are if you've read, and you've gotten in there and you're like, this is not encouraging. You know what I'm talking about? It's disturbing and so we get disturbed and we're like, I don't want to do this. This sounds a little bit too much like what I just experienced when I read the New York Times. You know, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. And so uh, it can, that can be an inhibitor for us to, to experience spiritual growth. Yeah, um, the reality is that the Bible is also full of terrible people. This can be really discouraging, especially if you 
and I recognize some people are brand new today, but some people have been around church circles for a very long time, and maybe you went to this thing called Sabbath school when you were a little child. Does everybody remember Sabbath school? We have great Sabbath schools. In fact, we saw the kids up here today, and they're doing great. But maybe you went to Sabbath school, and you were taught, told and taught about the heroes of the Bible. Remember those people? And, and uh, you, you like, and, oh, those heroes. I want to be like David, a hero. <laughs> I want to be like Abraham. I want to be like Esther. I want to be whatever your hero is. And you're like, oh, they're amazing, and we sing songs about them. But then you grow up, and you go back to read the Bible because you want to grow spiritually, and you've been told that the Bible helps you to grow spiritually. And you read the story of Abraham, who prostituted his wife out twice to save his own life, and then his son did the same, did the same thing twice again. By the way, and I have learned this from our reading, I had forgotten that, that uh, father and son tried to trick the same man with the same uh, lie about their, their uh, wife. It's crazy. These are not heroic people. These are not noble uh, people that you read about in the Bible. Oftentimes, they're terrible people. There are really no heroes in the Bible but one. So this can be uh, disconcerting and disturbing, and that can inhibit our ability to experience spiritual growth through reading the Bible because we're like, what is going on? Who are these people? This is a good time to, uh, to, to have a reminder that there are descriptive things that happen in the Bible and there are prescriptive things in the Bible. And most of the Bible is descriptive. You know, descriptive is describing what happened. Prescripting is prescribing what should happen. Most of the Bible, descriptive. There are some very overt prescriptions in the Bible. Can you think of one? Love your neighbor is certainly one, which is actually a, 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 a summary of, of a very prescriptive uh, uh, element of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, right? God comes down, he writes in stone, laser style, right in the stone, and that's prescribing this is what should happen, right? Don't kill each other, you know? This is good prescription. We want those prescriptions, but far and away, most of the Bible is describing what happened, and that's why there's terrible things. So you go into your Bible reading, I'm like, I'm going to be encouraged today. And then you read about Abraham prostituting his wife twice. Not encouraging. Not encouraging. So just because it's in the Bible does not mean it's something that God is excited about having happened. In fact, in fact, God is just as disturbed as you are when he reads the Bible. Listen to this. This is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, the Lord saw, this is creation has recently happened, certainly in the narrative at least, it's recently happened. Just a few chapters before God creates this beautiful world and he's so excited and he puts these two kids there like a parent who's excited about their newborn kids and he makes the space for them, a garden for them and he puts them there and just five chapters later we read these. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And verse six says, the Lord regretted 
that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. If you've read the Bible and been disturbed, you're in good company. God reads the Bible and is disturbed. God saw the events of the Bible and was disturbed at what happened so much so that he regretted that he made humankind. I mean, that's, that's pretty disturbing. You know, it takes a lot for a parent who's like, I regret that this has happened. I mean, that is, that is uh, heartbreaking. And so God is as disturbed and more so than we are when he reads the Bible. And so, but that could be an inhibitor from us experiencing spiritual growth from the Bible because we're like, it's too disturbing. I can't be a, a part of this. And so our big question today is this, how do we overcome these roadblocks that inhibit us from engaging the Bible and growing from it and actually experiencing growth. And there certainly are strategies to do that. We want to experience spiritual growth. The Bible can help do that. So how do we go about that? Well, first of all, we, 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 we experience the, the Bible in a group together. We join a reading a group. Now, this is not intentionally an advertisement for what we've been doing, but why not? Let's just make it that, that way at this point. We have been reading the Bible as a community together. Uh, we are well into the Bible now, but we are not so far along that you can't jump in. And so on, on, uh, you can go to avenope.org and you'll see 2024 Bible reading. You click on that, you'll see the schedule. You don't have to go back and catch up. You just jump in where we are right now. And then on Wednesday evenings at 8 o'clock, we're on Zoom together. Whoever can come, you come when you can. If you miss, no big deal. And we debrief on what we've been reading. It's incredibly helpful. And so that's one way we can experience the Bible, the way it was designed to be experienced in community uh, together. We can uh, grow in our spiritual growth by engaging the Bible as we also listen to people talk about the Bible and expand, whether it's, it's Bible teachers who, or pastors or whatever who've been trained and have some back knowledge that can be helpful or you download your sermons or whatever, whatever, but you hear the Bible expounded and talked about that can be helpful for uh, growth. You can find a Good translation of the Bible. By the way, in the back, um, Bibles are so cheap nowadays. And of course, you don't even need a paper Bible because we have digital Bibles. I mean, the world has changed. 500 years ago, you couldn't, I mean, find a Bible was a big deal, okay? Martin Luther, as we said, Martin Luther, the great reformer, his engagement with the Bible, and he was trained in ancient languages. He had to go to the back of the library where a Bible was chained to the wall. That was his reading of the, the Bible. Bibles are no, now so, so everywhere that uh, we have some for you in the back. If you don't have a Bible and you want a paper Bible, we got Bibles on the back table. You can have them. Please take them. We got so many of them. We would love for you to take one. But if you don't need a paper Bible, it's digital, find a good translation. You want to engage the Bible, find a good translation that you're going to understand, a modern translation. In fact, I would suggest that you be familiar with a couple translations because, you know, translations can be difficult. I, I, I know that most of you, or many of you at least, are bilingual, and you know that uh, communicating something that is written or spoken in one language in another language can be tricky, and, and oftentimes it doesn't, you can't get the translation correct, right? you're just like, well, no, it's not quite that, well, this word is that word, but it's, no, it's a little off. Well, that's the re reality, so unless you speak uh, a very particular kind of ancient Greek or Hebrew, or, or at least read uh, a very particular kind of, of ancient Greek 
or read Hebrew or read Aramaic, you're going to experience the Bible. You're going to engage it in the Bible in a translation, which means someone who knows that language has tried to communicate that language in another language. And again, if you're bilingual or trilingual or whatever, you know how tricky that can be. And so you want to find yourself a good translation that makes sense to you. Now, some people do things where, like they have their particular translation that they love, which is totally fine. Um, there was a whole movement and there still is there like, you know, there's one accurate translation and it is, let's say this, the King James Version. Okay, so in English, the King James Version has been the gold standard because the language is very beautiful and very flowery. And even if you don't believe in the Bible, scholars say this is one of the greatest pieces of uh, English literature in the English language. And that's probably a true. But if you want to understand what's going on and you uh, were not born in the time of Shakespeare, you might want to update a little bit because the King James Version was translated in uh, 16... 11. Six, fun fact, by the way, did you know that uh, the apostle who was named in the English version, the King James Version, his name is James? Uh, did you know that that is not his name in the ancient Greek? His name in the ancient Greek is, uh, would be translated as Jacob. But the translators translated his name as James. Why might he do that? Fun, fun fact, this is a quiz. Why might the translator in 1611 of the Bible from Greek to uh, English translate Jacob, the apostle's name is James? Who was the king who was sponsoring the translation? King James, you got it. So translations make a difference. So James is actually Jacob. It who, who doesn't really matter. That doesn't matter at all necessarily. But translations make a difference. And all English translators have continued to translate James, uh, Jacob as uh, James, the apostle, uh, going all the way back to then. So translation uh, matters. Find yourself a good translation if you're really into to King's English of the uh, you know, 17th century more power to you, but I would suggest don't do that alone. Find something that you, is easily understandable. So these are all strategies in, in ways in which you can experience spiritual growth engaging the Bible. But they're all ultimately going to be insufficient to really get the most out of the Bible. Because you need the key to the Bible and that brings us uh, to Jesus. Jesus says, said to the Bible scholars of his day, you search the scriptures diligently. And these people searched the scriptures. I mean, they were scholars. They memorized large passages of the Bible, okay, in the original language. And Jesus said to them, you search the scriptures diligently, and yet the scriptures point to me, and you completely miss it. So Jesus' assertion is that the Bible was designed to help us understand what God was doing through Jesus. And when we understand that, it's like a key that opens everything else up. So you can find a translation and you can join a group and you can uh, you know, listen to sermons, but unless you've got the key that is Jesus, 
you're still going to be struggling for what's uh, going on. Jesus also said in his most uh, famous sermon, starting in Matthew chapter 5, this is Matthew 5, 17, he says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. And he's referencing the Hebrew Bible there when he says law and the prophets. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, the Hebrew Bible. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is like, I am the fulfillment of all that you read about in the Hebrew Bible. I'm the fulfillment of that. He told him, you search the scriptures diligently, and yet you, you miss the meaning because you miss that they're about me. Jesus came to fulfill the teaching of the Bible, and we will always be searching or longing for something if we don't understand what go, is going on in the Bible, that the Bible is about God's work through Jesus, a revelation of who Jesus is, the revelation of Jesus. I mean, the ending, the last book in the Bible is titled The Revelation of Jesus. It's not a bunch of revelations. This is why I always pick on this. You've heard me say this before. People call it the book of revelations. It is not the book of revelations because that downgrades what it is. Because then it sounds like the, the point of the book is all this mysterious, weird stuff happening. That's wrong. The revelation is of Jesus and who he is. Jesus came to fulfill the Bible. The key to the Bible is uh, Jesus. Uh, Paul says this. He says, for the entire law, again, he's referencing the Hebrew Bible. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Now, I love a good summary. Um, here's the summary. The entire law, the entire Hebrew Bible is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's a pretty concise summary. Entire uh, uh, law, the entire uh, Hebrew Bible is 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 concisely explained in this, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who exemplified what it means to love your neighbor? Jesus. When we find it difficult to do that, to love our neighbor or to love our enemy, Jesus has done what we cannot uh, do. In 1 John 3, we read this. We know... This is now Paul writing again, or, or John uh, writing, another apostle. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. That's how we know that we've come into an experience with God. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. So Paul said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now John is saying, this is how you know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is. And so Jesus and his sacrifice for the world unlocks the key to the rest of the Bible. And so if we're going to experience spiritual growth by engaging the Bible, we're not going to do it just by getting a better translation or just by reading in community together or by just listening to people talk about the Bible. Those are all helpful and good things, but without the key that as unlocked by understanding who Jesus is and confessing faith in him, we're still going to be searching and bumbling around. 
God is inviting us into an experience with him, an experience of spiritual growth, and Jesus is the key to that. When we, when we embrace and confess faith that Jesus has, is the Christ and that he has died and, and that we have hope in this, that he died, that he rested and was resurrected, then we can experience spiritual growth as we are engaged in the Bible. God is longing for us to experience that growth and it comes from that confession of faith. As we confess faith, God is able to work within in us. We can grow as we engage with the Bible and we can be transformed. So as we continue in this uh, journey, as we look at nurturing spiritual growth and in communicating the good news and embodying the life and teachings of Jesus, as Michelle talks to us next week about what it means to experience the spirit, uh, we can be empowered as we confess faith in this Jesus who is the key that opens what God is doing in the Bible for all of us. And so might God be this for you today. Amen. <laughs>